Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. Back and forth, back and forth, the 76ers and the Boston Celtics duked it out in the opener of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals. Horford against Tatum, gets his own mess and scores the ball, and he bellows, Big L! Oh yeah, let me hear ya! But in the end, the Celtics had too much. Blocked by Tatum from behind, out to the left side, Brown. Open three out of transition, it's good! A dagger, Jalen Brown knocks it down. What are the keys to game two? We asked Dennis Scott from NBA TV and the NBA on TNT. I thought it was a very interesting game because, as always, as you guys know, we all wonder how Embiid's going to show up, how impactful he will be, how aggressive he will be. And I think that question was answered early in the ballgame. I'm Lauren Rosen. And I'm Brian Seltzer. We look back on Game 1 and look ahead to Game 2 on this episode of The Broadcast from the 76ers Podcast Network. Game one is in the books. It was a well-played, intense, back-and-forth game. It did not go the 76ers' way. They, of course, lost on Monday night 109-101, to setting the stage for game two. No Devon this episode of the pod. Lauren and I are going to try and hold it down. We got 3D Dennis Scott from the NBA on TNT and NBA TV in just a few moments. But first, Lauren, what were your impressions of game one? Well, look, I loved the way that the game went back and forth. It was physical. It was intense. Both teams showed some really great stuff. And realistically, a lot of the Sixers had good performances, especially the way Joel Embiid started with that five for five shooting in the first quarter. Josh Richardson hit some big shots. Shake Milton did a good job. Alec Burks, obviously, off the bench was good. And we know we can get more from those guys and some of the other guys who maybe had more of an off night. I think that the Sixers are in a good place if they can take better care of the ball and activate themselves with a little bit more intensity on the offensive end to maybe steal game two on Wednesday. I would agree. I tend to view game ones as almost like fact-finding missions. Certainly the Sixers and Celtics know a ton about each other. They played each other four times in the regular season. They're division rivals. They're intertwined in so many different ways. But I think one of the things that you could take away from game one was, like you said, this is going to be, by all accounts so far, at least the evidence that we have, a competitive series. It wasn't like Boston or the 76ers ever ran away with it. It was back and forth. I think we knew from the outset, based upon how much the Sixers turned the ball over in the first quarter, it was going to be an uphill battle. I was really impressed with the run they went on of 15 straight to end the third, to start the fourth, especially with Joel Embiid on the bench for a portion of that time. And then at the end, 
after Jason Tatum got the Celtics started, it was Jalen Brown having a monster fourth quarter, and then to really give the Celtics enough breathing room, it was Kemba Walker that, that put the game away. Realistically, a lot of the Sixers had good nights. Now what we need is to turn that good night into a great night. I think we saw a lot of good things from Joel Embiid. Obviously, his start was phenomenal, going five four five from the field. Josh Richardson had a strong run. Alec Burks was good off the bench. And shout out to Matisse Thibel for the way that he defended Tatum, because even though Tatum was having a great night, when he was guarded by Thibel, he actually didn't do that well. So if Matisse is going to continue to take that matchup on, hopefully they'll start to understand a better way to get Jason Tatum's number and turn those good performances into great performances that can hopefully yield wins. Yeah, something that was interesting that it sounded like coming from both sides. Obviously, you would hear this from the Sixers because they lost. They feel like they can do better. But the Celtics, too, felt like even despite getting some great performances from Tatum and Kemba and Jalen Brown, that, that they have more to give as well. So it sounds like there's a lot of focus on both sides in terms of injuries. We're going to have to find out at some point what the situation is with Gordon Hayward. That could be a key loss for Boston, at least the initial reports after the game uh, on Monday and I don't want to play doctor, but they didn't sound like, at least for the short term, they were all that great. If you leave an arena in crutches and you need an MRI, um, that could be a little bit of a shaky situation. So at the time that we're recording this podcast, that's the latest information that we have. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there were certainly ways you could see the path of the 76ers winning that game. They just now have to iron those areas out and shore them up moving forward. And look, it was a close game even without the contributions we're used to seeing from some of the guys. We know Tobias Harris can do more. We know Al Horford can do more. He's done more so far inside the bubble. Furkan Korkmaz held scoreless. You know he can do more. So if those guys can get it together, I think obviously you never want to see anyone get hurt. That's not how you want to win a game. That's certainly not how you want to win a series. But if Gordon Hayward is having problems, the Celtics team is pretty thin. And maybe it's on me for not doing my research well enough, but I didn't realize just how thin they were. They only had eight points off the bench total yesterday. Or, sorry, rather, on Monday night. Um, so I think realistically, if they're going to lose Hayward or, or even lose part of Hayward, that could be a problem. And the Sixers might actually have an edge when it comes to depth, even without Ben Simmons. Yes. You know, we talk here on the broadcast, probably people would say enough about the 76ers. So we figured why not bring on someone who truly knows his stuff. You see him on the NBA on TNT on NBA TV. It is 3D Dennis Scott and TNT is going to have over 40 NBA playoff games, the most of any network, including your team, your town, your 76ers against the Boston Celtics later on tonight at 6.30. 3D, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to dive into Sixers Celtics looking ahead to game two. But first thing we got to ask you is, you know, this has been going on for a month now inside the bubble. What are your impressions of the NBA bubble? To be very honest, I'm a, a little jealous and a little envy that I'm not a part of it because, to your point, we all were wondering how would Adam Silver and his brain trust pull this off? Would the players and everyone associated with the players, would they listen and follow the protocol? So I think we all would agree, big goes to the players. Obviously, the coaches, they're going to be the leaders and do the right things, but I'm just really, really, really impressed on how the guys – or sticking to the script and doing the right things in no cases. Yeah, no doubt. I almost feel like it's super safe there, and it's way safer than it is outside of the bubble. So that jealousy that you feel about being there, I am with you. Um, I got to ask, what did you make of game one last night? I, I thought it was a very interesting game because, as always, as you guys know, we all wonder how Embiid's going to show up. 
how impactful he will be, how aggressive he will be. And I think that question was answered early in the ballgame. And then the second question is, now with no Ben Simmons, how would the other stepped up? So if you're a Sixer fan, you have some encouragement that guys played hard, they played well at times. It's just that you know the Celtics stepped up and Brown and Tatum played a hell of a ball game. Listen, we know Joel Embiid's not going to go 20 for 20 in a basketball game after he started game one, five for five from the field. But I think everyone saw that start and that energy, the engagement. He was really physical and getting to the rim on the offensive end. And I think a question that a lot of Sixers fans have right now is how can that be harnessed for a full 48 minutes? Not expecting, of course, perfection, but just that approach, that mindset, the way he went about his business early on. Do you have thoughts on that? Yes, I think the. The, the underlining question, and I think you guys know this, and Brett Brown talked about it last night in the postgame show, you have to feed and be more often than you probably want to. And he used the analogy of him being with the San Antonio Spurs and being around Tim Duncan. But Popovich found creative ways of getting Tim Duncan the ball on different blocks and understanding that it gave him different windows so when he gets double teamed, he can find guys on the other end of the floor to knock down shots. Let's call it what it is. J.J. Redick is gone. You don't have that knockdown, dead-eye three-point shooter, so we can stop talking about it. But Josh Richardson, Shake Milton, all those other guys, they're quality shooters. You have to instill confidence in them and put them in situations so they know when the ball swung to them on the weak side of the floor, be ready to shoot the ball with confidence like they did yesterday. What did you make of the way that Alec Burks has sort of stepped into a role like that of someone that – whether it be Joel or any of the other guys, can find and rely on him for an instant impact, even though he's still relatively new to the team? Well, I think the the East Coast is getting a chance to see folks because people don't realize how good he is. And, yes, he's been banged up a little bit, like, say, the last four or five years before he got traded from Utah, he's banged up. So now he's finally healthy, and now he's reminding the basketball people, this, this young man can play, he can score the ball, and he takes pressure off that second unit, you know, when he's – Starts some, comes off the bench some. The bottom line, when he's on the floor, he takes so much pressure off the offensive end. He's a bucket getter, 3D, right? I mean, he's a guy who, in the yes. postseason, you really value someone like that. There were a handful of broken plays in game one where you're like, well, what's going to happen? And there was Burks making something happen. It seems like that type of score is even more valuable this time of year. You guys know this. You follow the game pretty closely. So whenever you have what we call the wild card guy that – you're not sure what he's going to bring each night, but to your point, you know he can get a bucket. And in broken plays, everybody has a player or two on their team where they can say, you know what, shot clock, go get us a bucket. We talk about Alec Burks coming off the bench. Another guy who came off the bench last night, Matisse Thibel. What did you make out of the way that the rookie was able to do a pretty good job on Jason Tatum, who was obviously having an excellent night? Yeah, that's a great point you bring up. And I was, I was happy to see Matisse not lose his confidence, understanding that you know, Tatum and Brown, they are bona fide young superstars. are going to get better and better each year. It's all about making them work for what they get, which I thought they did. It's just they had good nights. Now, offensively, I think Thibel needs to look for the rim a little bit more. Look for his shot. Be more aggressive. You have a decent little shot. Your three-point percentage is decent throughout the year. You made some big shots. Look at the rim. There's no Ben Simmons. I don't think Brett Brown's going to get mad at him. Shoot the damn ball. <laughs> It's such a fascinating situation, 3D, that he's in because he's a rookie, and not only is he getting playing time, he played over 32 minutes in Game 1, his first playoff game, but he's being asked to cover the elite 
of the elite scorers. I don't know if you can think back to this long marathon season where there was a game, because I know that you were at the center a lot in South Philadelphia this season. If there was a game or a moment you remember seeing Thibel when you were like, huh, and maybe it was even going back to his college career, because I know you followed that closely too, where you're like, this guy really has the opportunity to be something legit on the defensive end of the floor. In college, you saw the athletic ability, but you said, I don't know if I see enough. And that's the difference between us as analysts who, you know, NBA TV or any other network versus those college scouts who see 20, 25, 30, 60, seeing the kid play his sophomore year, his freshman year, where a lot of times we don't get that opportunity. Until the tournament comes along, and you say, oh, my goodness, look at his wingspan. Look how he runs the floor. Look how passing lanes. That's going to translate to the NBA. And then he gets there, I think, it was a game we had, and to your point, I think it was early November for center court on NBA TV, and I saw him up close. That's when I said, oh, my goodness, I ain't realize how big he was and how tall and long. I said, he's going to have a long NBA career. It's all about the confidence on the offensive end of the floor that his career will flourish. One more question for me, for you, about him, because I've been asking people way smarter than me about basketball about this. Is there a comp that you have for him at this stage of his career? I know it's still early, but when you see him, is there anyone else that you think of when they were at that stage in their career? Not right now off the top of my head. What I've learned about this, this, this generation, what guys did in college, maybe a small taste of who they really are, and then they get into college, they don't have that college coach holding them back. And other, you know, abilities come out. You're like, wow, I didn't know he could do that because he didn't show us that in college. I think we're going to have that in Thibault, that you're going to see things each week, each month, each year come out of him because that pigeonhole is not holding him back. I feel that for sure. He's been really interesting to watch, and, and I think a lot of people share that that vibe with you that we're still learning about him. And that's really exciting, obviously, for a first-year player. Someone else we'd love to talk about who's also having his first experience in the playoffs is Shake Milton. What have you made of his rise? And and almost like if you – I don't know if you have any advice for a guy like Shake or, or given your experience and everything that you've seen, how can a guy like that who doesn't have the most big-game experience flourish in a playoff situation? Uh, I think the biggest thing for Shake right now on days off – just live in the gym and just put up jump shots, put up jump shots because what he doesn't understand yet that the game should come easy to him because everybody's worried about Embiid, everybody's worried about Al Horford, and now that Ben's gone, everyone's worried about Tobias Harris. So when those guys are getting double teamed, find that sweet spot on the floor. You know those guys are unselfish, they're willing to share, they're willing to swing it, catch it and shoot. Catch it and shoot. It's a simple game. Look around in the NBA. Look around how role players feed off their superstars. They catch and shoot. They get to a sweet spot. You saw what Luka did last night to the Clippers, right? Right? He had Feeney, you know, Feeney Smith. He had Tim Hardaway Jr. He had MKG. And I'm not, I'm not trying to mess with him. We know his jump shot is a working project. It's a science project. He went two of three from three-point land last night. Why? Because he was wide open in the corner, Luca drives, kicks, he knocks it down. That's the same thing we're talking about with Joel Embiid. Attack, be aggressive. Once you go five for five, once you get a couple players in foul trouble, they have no choice but to double team you. Now, Shake, Burke, all the rest of you guys, catch and shoot and shoot the ball with confidence. That's going to take so much pressure off of Harris, Horford, and Embiid. 
Dennis, I know you know Tobias Harris and his family really well. We all know what Tobias can do on the court. I'd love to ask you for your impressions of what he's done off the court, especially these last couple months in light of everything that he's been doing to try and drive change in respect to racial inequality in the United States. That he has educated himself very well, and he has made sure that he's gotten all the information that's that hit that hit home to him. Because each guy, I thought, has done a really in this whole social movement and being able to, you know, express and articulate how they feel, why they feel, and what they think the change can really be made while they're where they are in their platform, where they are in their career, and so forth. So Tobias done an excellent job. So as a Sixer fan, they should be, you know, applaud and appreciate what he's done because he's done his homework and now he's he's expressing himself the right way. I do think it's great the way that he's sort of been recognized for that leadership that we've seen him put in sort of behind closed doors or on the road or whatever, whatever it may be. Now he's sort of getting that recognition as such a vocal leader on and off the floor. So that's been gratifying. And obviously if he can match that effort on the court, he's going to be doing great things for a while for the Sixers. And last question for you, I've got to ask, when you look ahead to game two, what are your keys to the game, the things that the Sixers can fix or adjust in order to steal one from the Celtics on Wednesday night? Number one, you have to take care of the basketball because you know the Celtics are scrappy, Marcus Smart. You know, their wing players are really, really scrappy. They get in the pass lane, get steals. Uh, and Daniel Tice is not a bad big guy. He makes him be work down there. So number one, Take, care, take better care of the basketball. Number two, transition defense. When you do turn the ball over, you got to get back on defense because I thought a few – I think the third quarter when Jalen Brown knocked down those three or four threes that really broke this, uh, the Sixers back as they were trying to make that run. And last but not least, you got to feed the big fella. You got to get creative on how you get him the ball, knowing that he's a willing passer when the team start double-teaming him. 3D, Dennis Scott. Thank you so much, man, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Anytime, guys. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate 3D Dennis Scott taking the time to join us here on the broadcast. You can see him on the NBA on TNT, NBA TV. Follow him on Twitter at Dennis3DScott. TNT's got over 40 NBA playoff games. That is more than anyone out there. And they have the 76ers and the Celtics later on tonight at 6.30. Love, Lauren, hearing from 3D. I especially like some of the stuff that he was talking about in respect to Shake Milton. I thought Shake played well enough for sure for the Sixers in that game on Monday based upon what your expectations might have been. Young kid, first playoff game, and he did a lot of what 3D was talking about. Get the ball, swing it to him, and hit the open shot, and he did that. I thought he played pretty well. I agree, Seltz. Props to Shake. Just We talk about his journey all the time, but it really is a tremendous story, the fact that he was out of the rotation at the All-Star break, and now he's putting in significant minutes in this series and will continue to do so. I loved what Dennis said about confidence and the way that Shake needs to, obviously he's a confident dude. He wouldn't have gotten as far as he has, especially this season without that confidence, but to take it to that next level and really own his space. He said the same thing about Matisse Thibel. There was a play early where they left Matisse wide, wide open beyond the arc for a couple possessions in a row. And eventually I don't remember who it was, but someone found him from the post and Matisse knocked down the shot. And I think realistically those young guys, if they feel empowered to take shots like that and just go for it and own their space and own this moment, they could be really good. And we'll forget pretty quickly that it's their first playoff series. 
like we said, game one between the 76ers and the Celtics, very spirited, very intense. Can't wait to see what a little bit more desperation perhaps from the 76ers and maybe even the Celtics, a higher, a higher sense of urgency in game two now that both teams have game one under their belts in a brand new setting and atmosphere, what that could lead to for game two. Yep, Celts, honestly, if, if game one is any indication of what's to come, it's going to be a heck of a series, and hopefully the Sixers can find a way to take particularly those turnovers. We almost haven't talked about it enough. If they can limit those the way that they did in the second half, that's the difference maker in game one. You win game one if you take better care of the ball, and all the guys mentioned that in post game. so hopefully that's something that's top of mind and an adjustment that they can make for game two. We missed having Devon. He will be back on sooner rather than later. Lauren and I will next talk to you on 7-6 Live Countdown presented by DraftKings, our live pregame streaming show, which you can watch on Twitter, Facebook, the Sixers app, or Sixers.com. And we will start that about an hour and a half before tip-off on Wednesday night. Thanks to 3D, Dennis Scott. Lauren, thank you. And thanks to everyone out there listening. Enjoy game two. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.